Over now to the Suffolk Essex borders and uh, our good friend Don Topley is joining us. Morning, Don, and Happy New Year to you. Thank you, Darren. A very happy new year to you. Actually, what did I say good morning? It's afternoon, but it's that time of year where we lose track a little bit, don't we? Well, it's appropriate to say good day. <laughs> well, absolutely right. And one of the reasons we lose track is because cricket fans have been staying up into the wee hours uh, trying to follow England's progress. And uh, here we are at the SCG, um, a ground I'm sure you're familiar with. And uh, the fourth test is underway. Well, the MCG, Adelaide, I mean, all of them I've known over the years. And the SCG, whilst it's got a slightly smaller crowd than some of the others, is still a great ground of full of history. And yes, like you, I've been up in the middle of the night watching it, certainly watching the first session and then getting up early to see the end as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, now, looking at this test match, again, we are, as England fans, in that precarious position of having a bit of hope um we got through to the end of the day we've we, we bowled well we could argue and we will do in a second that it may have been better um we have survived the close unscathed and we're sort of thinking well maybe we can bat all day we can get past 400 we can get to 500 we can get to 600 uh, and we can dream about finishing the finishing the tour by the narrower defeat of 3-2 as opposed to 5-0. Uh, what are your thoughts mm. as this game starts? Well, look, we all, as Englishmen, we uh, it's not the losing that kills us. It's, uh, it's the hope that does, really, isn't yeah. it? If, yeah. if we be brutally honest, we can go into the minutiae in a minute, but if we be brutally honest, we have won the Ashes abroad once in 34 years. So can we bring that back to a bit of reality? I certainly, I think I came on your programme in the autumn and said, we're not gonna do particularly well. And we haven't, and it's annoying and it's heartbreaking and we're tired because we live in the hope of staying up and watching it and there is the hope, but we've been beaten up again. We've been beaten up badly, sadly, um, um, we might have got one or two decisions wrong. That's within the game of cricket. But the Australians, to be fair to them, have bowled brilliantly and they have fielded and caught their catches. And catching has, was costly for Essex last season, certainly in the first two thirds of the season, which affected their county championship campaign. But catching for England has been particularly costly and in particular the wicketkeeper. So listen, Australia have done well. They don't look particularly jaded. They haven't had a lot of cricket and I think that's helped them. Meanwhile, England have kept the show going. We've basically committed and completed all the cricket we had to. And I think it's been mind numbingly amazing how much cricket England have played, but they do look jaded too. One of the criticisms or <clears throat> explanations for this performance has been um, lack of preparation and poss possibly with the calendar that they are maintaining. Um, the, the schedule's punishing and it doesn't really leave much time for um, just basic training and drills and, you know, the occasional warm-up matches. I know the weather's played a factor, but do you think that's, that's a fair comment? Very fair, very real. 
and I know that will be being discussed within the corridors of ECB at NWH, but also in Australia. They would normally go across, history tells you, you go across and you play three stroke four, you used to play at Lilac Hill against Dennis Lilly, even when he was quite old. It was a traditional, bit like the Lavinia D Duchess of Norfolk 11. That was the Arrow. curtain raiser. That's right. And, and, you know, you'd have three state games where you would prepare yourself and it would be good. But COVID stops us playing the States games. So England tried in the best will, uh, way in the world possible. They took the England A side out to have games against England A, two, uh, a three day and a four day. Unfortunately, the, the weather kiboshed that and there was very little play. So England's preparation was basically, and I know you're, people are listening to this, probably going to say that's balmy, bearing in mind the professionals. But that was the case. England had very little prep. And don't forget, probably half of this squad came straight from um, Dubai, where they'd been playing white ball, the World T20 World Cup. So there was no preparation, and that was against Australian cricketers who had played some Sheffield Shield four-day Red Bull cricket, and um, and there they were. They were ready to go, and we've taken a pounder, sadly. So preparation, yes, Darren, was crucial, and we had zero. You also made the, 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 the very important point that... Um... Winning Australia is A, not easy, and B, a complete rarity, which is why we celebrate so much when we did. And it was 2010-11 that maybe younger listeners are more familiar with. Um, people of yours and my vintage will remember 86 and all that. Um, and then you, you sort of even going further back to some of the great players of, of before that era, it wasn't... Um, it, it's the toughest test. I think when you talk to or you listen or read from senior players of this day and the past, it's the biggest test as a cricketer to go yeah. and play for England in Australia. Well put, yes it is. And, and of course last winter was probably the other biggest test in world cricket going to play in India. So listen, this last 18 months we've been to India. We've then played India at home and New Zealand, the number one test side in the, in the world. And now we've gone on the set, uh, another major challenging tour to the Australia. So test cricket for England has been put on the spotlight in the last 18 months. We haven't played any minnows or lesser countries or smaller nations. We've only played the top two nations and we've been found wanting. So we're currently, I think about fourth or fifth in the world standing in test cricket. And probably that is a fair reflection. We're pretty okay at home, but like many teams, we're poor away. So I think trying to be as sanguine about this as possible. Um, as you say, we've played the biggest test nations in quick fire succession. We have played against a backdrop of COVID, which is not conducive to, well, home and away. You know, part of the things of touring is acclimatising yourself, spending a bit of time, you know, getting used to the country, playing the warm-up games, et cetera, et cetera. That hasn't happened. And we're a side that is on the precipice of transition with the likes of Broad and Anderson looking to step away. We are still trying to find our preferred opening batting pair. We've gone from a side that had three or four top bats 
at the top of the order, a good, I mean, well, strong bowling attack, but that is stepping away. So when I see this constant barrage from, frankly, people who should know better, calling for wholesale changes, top to bottom of English cricket, I don't think it's necessarily that bad. Is that fair, is that fair enough, or do you, do you think? Mm. Um, that is a really good question. It sounds pretty simple. Is it that bad? Look, I think cricket has to look at itself. At the moment, if you, you as many as other people, look on social media, and cricket followers and fans, and cricket is eating itself alive at the moment. And it's not always nice. Look, we are going through changes. And I do believe cricket does need to go through a change. How it gets there is the issue. Um, we, we are being exercised in batting techniques as well. Um, and there could be something to do with coaching within that how the game's being played. Um, I think batting techniques, we are struggling with in this country because there is the philosophy that we do play too much white ball and kids grow up playing those kind of shots with a different mentality. And as I said to you, that comes under the umbrella of coaching. So I'm, I'm concerned uh, about coaching within the system, coaching at basics, at Billericay, for instance. I'm concerned about how it's represented and how we teach young cricketers. But it's not going away. You know, the game's not just about red ball. So we just have to manage this and we have to manage it properly. Because white ball, don't forget, pays for everything, which includes uh, red ball domestic cricket. So before we unleash the different arguments and the whys and wherefores, and we, we need to understand um, other, other parts. There are so many interested parties who have varying agendas that contribute to this great argument. And to be honest, most of the people that are involved, those interested agencies or parties, uh, look upon it selfishly. They only spout off for their own what they want. And it's a real difficult, whether it's the formats, whether it's the county cricket clubs, whether it's the English cricket board, whether it's the future of the game, whether it's the financing, whether the Professional Cricketers Association, the union has an input, the player has an input. And one of the great chats that people have around the country is that, Fans are quite surprised that perhaps young Mr. Newton, who plays for Shire on the borders of, of London, he has aspirations of playing Red Bull for England. But in reality, Mr. Mutu, who's a good white ball player, knows he's never ever going to play Red Bull cricket for England. So why doesn't he? Yes, you can live in hope. But actually, he's being very responsible, making sure his game for white ball is that he can be the best possible cricketer he can possibly be. There's nothing wrong with that. Back in my day, everyone hoped to play for England test matches. There, Yes, you could go and play a white ball one day game for England, but there was nothing else. You couldn't just do a career doing that. Whereas today, you can. So, you know, not that people don't want to play Red Bull cricket for England, 
but they know they're not in the pathway and they're not likely to go and play red ball for England. So they're going to become the best white ball cricketer they can. The schedule doesn't help because as soon as we've put this Ashes series to bed, almost within days, we are off to England or off to the West Indies to play five quick-fire T20s in the wonderful Barbados. And a little bird tells me that um, a certain D Topley will be uh, in evidence at the ground. He might be, but please don't suggest there might be a rum in my hand. I will deny that. <laughs> but you might be right. Listen, yes, the, the, the England boys fly out on the 15th of um, January and they've got games about a week later, five games in 10 days. And as soon as that's finished, you know, some of those, I think it's seven of them, I might be wrong, but seven of them fly to Pakistan to play in the Pakistan Super League. Yeah. The Super League in Pakistan starts, in fact, they're, they're at get there and have to isolate them, but they get there uh, as uh, the, the, the tournament's already begun. So it's very busy. Um, and, you know, when you talk about the Pakistan Super League, it's interesting, Darren, for me, is that we want to wave the flag, rightly so, about the blast in this country, our Premier T20, but we also have something better called the 100, which is on the world stage now. But what I would say is every other country who's developed their cricket want to raise the profile of their own T20, the Caribbean Premier League that takes place in September, the Big Bash, which is in Australia, tremendous competition. You have the Super Smash in New Zealand at a different month. You have the Pakistan Super League, which let me tell you, the Pakistan Super League is up there with the IPL in uh, February. And then you have the IPL in April and May. So everybody else, we can't decry them for having to want to have a top level competition. The reality is, is Darren, is our T20 probably didn't sit on the top table with some of these other Premier Leagues. That's the harsh reality. But we can't deny those countries to want to have the best players to go and play in it. It just so happens that the majority of them are in our winter, which allows our boys our cricketers to stay busy during that uh, important time. So when you also manage your time in the English summer, which is phenomenal, nobody plays as much cricket. We can argue if it's right, if it's wrong, but nobody plays as much cricket as we do in this country. And then you can go around the world playing in those franchise competitions. Does it's it, busy. Yeah, it is. And there's the old argument about <clears throat> everyone needs to remember, if they didn't know already, that England invented the T20 format, the 2020 Cup, as it was originally called. Yes. It took our eye of the ball, the IPL, the Indians, the BCCI, saw the potential, ran with it, uh, and the ECB were caught figuratively with their trousers down. Um, yeah. And That's naively, naively. Yeah. And then... Um, on a, a, a slightly different subject, which we'll get into maybe another time, but the, the whole Stanford debacle, where there's an excellent documentary on Sky at the moment, um, the man who bought cricket, he came along. Uh, the ECB panicked, I feel, that they needed to do something and, and backed completely the wrong horse. But 
I've got a theory, and I'm going to just chuck this at you, and I'll, I'll be interested yes. in your views. Um, in reading social media, and there are, as you know, and I well know, there are a lot of Facebook chat rooms, internet chat rooms, websites, um, publications, newspapers, magazines, where everyone's got a point of view. And we're in this society these days where on any subject you care to mention, people are very vocal one way or the other, and black is white, and I'm right mm. and you're wrong. Bringing it to cricket in point of views, from, from what I read, and the kind of the fallout from the England performance in the Ashes, is that a lot of um, focus has been blamed at the county game. And you mm. listen to diehard county uh, fans, and you and I are present on a couple of Facebook groups, which are squarely aimed at county fans. And the input comes from traditionalist county Red Bull fans. And they tend to be, not in all cases, but they tend to be of a certain vintage. They tend to be very fixated in what they want from county cricket, i.e. Red Bull, and maybe a return to something like the John Player League of old. So I would suggest, and also that we've seen steadily, and even to this day, players now as you say there are maybe the younger ones that want to play the shorter form go and earn money travel the world and play in these different leagues there are others that want to be you know technically gifted correct players they've got technique that play red bull cricket so i've got an idea which i'm just going to throw at you of how i would potentially fix domestic cricket I would say to the counties, you become Red Bull um, specialists. Elevate the counties. All 18. All 18. Yeah, sorry. All just 18. To get that in, just yes, to qualify because that. We, need, we need to have it spread. If we're going to grow the game, we need it to spread to all four corners of the country. So I would say to them, uh, and I'm not going to get into an argument about two divisions or three divisions, or whatever else, but I'm going to say, you guys, your, primary, your primary job is to appease members and play Red Bull cricket, develop the next generation of test players. And your cherry on the cake will be the equivalent of the old Sunday league. You know, I would suggest the, 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 the one day cup. You can have that and you can play that as counties. White ball cricket and the blast, I would take away from them. And I would put white ball cricket now, we've seen the 100, which I think was a success for many reasons last year. I know it's got its detractors, but I think overall you, you, you net-net it, it was a success. Yes. So let's take all the good things from that. Let's take the fact that it was short and sweet. It was during the summer yes. holidays for the kids. Yes. Turnout was great. It reached new audiences. Yes. Franchise system worked. The only thing that was slightly tricky or unnecessary was the format. So let's make the 100... A T20 competition. Let's make it a franchise. Let's bring in all the international superstars. Let's encourage players that want to play white ball to go and get involved in that. And it would fit in with the calendars of playing CPL, IPL, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that goes on around the world. Because we've seen in the past, and Essex has been a victim of losing players that go and play franchise cricket that miss chunks of the season, and it hurts the county. Yes. So let's almost encourage players to say, decide for yourself if you want to be a red ball or a white ball cricketer. Yes. 
Red Bull, play for your county. And, and let's have county cricket, championship cricket, Red Bull cricket played in the high months of the summer. Let's have it played all the way through. And as we've seen in Australia at the moment, the big bash is running concurrent to the ashes. And neither seems to be cannibalising the other. They seem to be... A, well, the Sheffield Shield, four-day Sheffield Shield, is played before the Christmas holidays in Australia and later in the season. But they do have marginally better weather. Yeah. But not necessarily in Queensland, as England encounter. Yeah. But they, they, they leave the top part of their summer to test matches and their premier um, big bash T20 tournament. So... It, they are different, but they play their four-day at the margins of the season. They don't play their four-day Red Bull cricket at the height of their summer. It must be said. The one negative towards your plan, yeah, for me it's a big one, Darren. You said keep the 100. The 100 will be central. That will be your major white ball but you've taken the T20 away from the other 10 counties. Yeah, and the 100 becomes a T20 tournament. The problem with that, Darren, fundamentally, is those 10, Essex, Somerset, Sussex, who don't have a test ground, who don't aren't part of the 100, will lose their major income. So for Essex, outside the ECB's 4.2 million handout per year, Essex's uh, turnover is reliant. It's 86% centered on white ball. And I personally think that those 10 counties would not survive for too long without that white ball. So that the T20, while it's fun, it's impressive, it's popular, it's entertaining, but doesn't sit on the world's top table. That T20 is fundamental to the county's finances and security. The 100 is, as you started to suggest, brings in new fans, is something to try and secure cricket's future going forward. Because all these Red Bull County members, listen, they want to go and watch with their mates all the home games and as much as possible. And in the middle of the summer, they, they, they do have a little bit of blinkering on. The problem I've got with them is that unless we find a new generation to take cricket on, hey, the game's not, the game's not about you and me. We're in our late 50s. Yeah. Well, you might even be in your early 60s these days. <laughs> but what I'm trying to suggest is we the, the 100 is there. The agenda for the 100 is about finding a new family, finding a new um, a generation for the next generation of cricket. Because if we don't find one, the old traditionalists who go and support county cricket won't have a game to go and support. It's that, it's that uh, brutal. I'm sorry. So we need a new generation. Let park up the hundred. That's what that's for. But the T20 has a different agenda. That is massively important to the non-test match grounds. They need the T20 for their financial stability. So getting at your crystal ball and assuming your Gypsy Rose Toppers persona, 
let's whiz the clock forward 25 years. How do you see cricket, domestic cricket, uh, when all of the current old duffers that populate county grounds on... Are no longer here. Yeah. Well, firstly, how are we going to replace them? Look, membership is important. It is important. And they do do a good job. Of course they do. But if you have a club, I'm just using an example. I don't want to... Uh, emails from Leicestershire supporters, but I don't know how many thousand members they've got, but their membership income probably wouldn't pay for two players. Mm. Can we can we put can we put membership income? They're not going to be the savior, and they're not going to keep the game going. They're simply not. Whether they whether we find supporters or not. We have to find another way. So, look, I think we will probably play less first-class cricket. I think we will we should play less international cricket. Um, so, in 25 years' time, I think that is long-term. I think short-term is within 10 years, and probably medium-term is 15 to 20. Um, so, I'm more worried about, funny enough, the short and medium than the long. So short term, I, look, we can do it two ways. We either reduce, merge, and if we're not gonna merge or reduce counties from first class, then we need to take the other option, which is play less first class cricket, which means, and the only reason we play so much cricket in this country is because we have 18 teams. If we only had eight teams, we wouldn't play as much as so much. But because we have 18 teams, we play that much. So let's, what, can I suggest this to you? What about three divisions of merit? So first, second, third of six teams. Six teams mean home and away, 10 games. 10 games of first class cricket, where we try and fit five or six, a majority of them, into the summer. And I think the programming or scheduling of that would be a lot easier than trying to fit 14 games or, or even more. Um, so I'm in favor of that. If we're not going to reduce the counties or we're not gonna merge them, then, the, then option C is to play less cricket. And that means three times six divisions, 10 games. And I think that would be better or more convenient to fit into the schedule now talking of schedule so i think that makes sense uh, and the quality would improve um correct less is more to quote an old phrase but ravi shastri yes. recent the, the recently uh, who recently stepped down as the coach of india complained about india's schedule of cricket um which I found a little bit interesting because he would surely have been part and parcel of that. But India, um, and I at the time had a look, they, they, they've been playing non-stop uh, yeah. pretty much all year. I mean, you can go back to when England were uh, over there at this time last year. Uh, ever since then, the national team has been playing somewhere or other pretty much non-stop. Um, trying to fix England's problems, if we're talking about schedule being an issue at county level, at national level, 
It's horrific. 2021 was a bad enough year, but I'm just looking at England's schedule for this winter and into the next 12 months, into early 2023. Um, my God. It, well, that's after a phenomenal summer where we have India are coming over to finish the fifth test and play some white ball. We've got England are travelling to the Netherlands to play some World Cup points in the 50 over. And that is bang in the middle of the test series against the number one test side, New Zealand. So there's three tests against New Zealand. Then there's five against, four or five against South Africa. Yeah. And you've got an enormous amount of white ball cricket yeah. against India, Netherlands, as I say, South Africa and someone else. So that that you've got to get through the summer. England red ball and white ball probably won't play much for their county, which means when they get to the winter, as you introduced, we've got an incredible uh, winter tours. We've got seven in September, seven T20s in Pakistan. Then we go for three T20s in October before <laughs> another World Cup in Australia a T20 World Cup for October and November. November, we then stay and start our 2023 World Cup 50 over campaign. We start with some games in Australia. Then we play three tests in Pakistan, January three ODI, ODIs in South Africa, which were abandoned last year. And then February two tests in New Zealand, and March three ODIs and three T20s in Bangladesh before a group of England players will no doubt go off to the IPL for two months, April and May. There's too much cricket. I ask you a question, Darren. Does the World Test Championship, which we which the ICC ran, which New Zealand won when they beat India at the Aegeus Bowl last summer. Do you think that helps or hinders cricket at the moment, especially, especially in COVID uh, times? Well, I think the intention was honourable behind it because it wanted to make test series and test matches competitive and meaningful. Um, but it's all got a bit lost and COVID hasn't helped. And that's one factor we haven't mentioned in this schedule. You know, you've already said that there's uh, franchise leagues to be uh, interwoven with that schedule. But also, um, I mean, hopefully things will change, but let's just assume that they're similar to what we are now. Um, there's a lot of bio bubbles and hanging around hotels and, you know, yeah. away from your family and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I'm going to tell you a little story. My own son, who you know, Reese, um, we haven't seen him since September. We might see him on a beach in Barbados next week. But hang on a second. He will be behind his hotel fence on the beach. We will be on the public side of the beach. We won't be able to have a cuddle. We might, might be able to exchange Christmas presents from just now now but in reality it it really is quite a trying time for these they are men and some of them are young men um, I don't think it's fair to say 
you know, it's a bit like that sketch, you know, people moan on social media about these boys being in a, a five-star hotel, but a bubble. And, you know, they can't go anywhere. It's not easy, but it's that great sketch, you know, well, I, I was down mine and I worked 24 <laughs> hours a day. You're <laughs> lucky I worked 26. Lucky <laughs> I worked 32 hours a day before I go down the mine. You know, we, we are in 2022 yeah. and mental health, well-being, men's health it's very important and uh, look they are lucky and i know all these cricketers accept they are lucky but these are now going on for over two years so i think we've got to be a little bit careful and thoughtful how this goes and maybe just maybe i think we there is pressure from the executives pressure maybe from the icc i don't know but there is pressure to play to keep playing cricket. Um, and I think we have seen quite a substantial difference between Australia who haven't played yeah. too much cricket and England who have. That's yeah. the harsh reality. Quick word about Rhys. Um, he's, according to social media, he's on his way through Singapore airport and I would imagine he's on his way to London probably by now. Um, he arrived this morning. I presume this is going out on Thursday evening. It's going out, yeah, so we're Thursday arrived, evening. Yeah, this, this, he arrived seven o'clock this morning. He was in his flat in London at eight and he was watching his old teammates, the Melbourne Renegades, defeat <laughs> um, the Brisbane Heat. Um, and he was watching those sitting on his couch. So um listen he he thoroughly enjoyed it. it's a really good competition the big he's match. done well he's, he's done very well yep. yeah he has um you have to learn to change your bowling to bowling on australian wickets um they are hard your feet feel it they there's a normally a bit more pace i have to say the boundaries can be a bit bigger than the english grounds but the wickets generally speaking generally speaking are an awful lot better than the wickets we play in this country. And may I contribute one of the reasons why the wickets sometimes struggle in the UK in domestic cricket? It's because we play so much. They're tired, they're old, there's no pace in them. So that is the contributing reason. Um, I would like to see the county groundsman employed the head groundsman employed by the ecb yeah you can have another assistant head groundsman that can oversee everything else but the head groundsman oversees the pitch um that the, the, the counties are going to play for i do think that could help there's no emotional pressure put on the head groundsman to take the grass off at Taunton or <laughs> to put the grass or lead, or lose the mower for a week or two to have some nice long green grass at somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? I just yeah, think yeah. that would be a healthy position for head groundsmen to be in. We need better wickets. You've got a view on dropping pitches. Is it time for dropping pitches in the counties? I think it's more challenging to get them to grow. It's, you know, it's great to have dropping pitches. I agree. I think there was an experiment under... Mick Hunt over at Lords over the years, but I think they used to find drop-in pitches hard to create, hard to blend, hard to manufacture uh, in April, May, and June. You could probably do it June, July for, for August and September. If we could, yes, please. Maybe, 
not just drop pitches, but these hybrid pitches. Yeah, yeah. Um, artificial pitches, which David Warner alluded to recently, worth an investigation that definitely. Excellent. Don, um, I'm going to wind it up because uh, I know you're a busy man and um, you've got to prepare for a trip to the Caribbean, which I'm very jealous about. But um, hopefully um, we can catch up with you and you can do us a, a, an on the ground report. Maybe if you can drag a few special guests to join you on the I'm sure we could. Um, we, well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes, a mojito, a rum punch, bottle of banks, shikari. <laughs> that sounds lovely, doesn't it? Couple of uh, flying fish cutters, maybe some fish cakes. Yeah, we'll, we'll finish it off with a couple of Johnny cakes. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, absolutely. If, for those that don't know, you need to go to Barbados. You really do. <laughs> All right, Don. We'll go well. Thanks a lot for uh, for catching up with us, and uh, I'll hold you to that. Next time we see you on this show, uh, you are going to be in a pink t-shirt and the, the famous shorts and. Uh, some refreshment close to hand. So uh, anyway, great Absolutely. to talk, Don. Uh, Happy New Year all. and and stay safe. And to you and all of yours. And we'll be uh, we'll be catching up soon.